0: Alright guys, and welcome to the How Do You Health Podcast. This is Baldo, Tex-Mex Yogi. I am excited to uh, be recording our, we're very close to 200, I think it's 190, maybe 195, something like that, I don't know. But today we have Sonny Keller, and I'm excited because you have been in our community for a while, but I literally just met you last week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just the way that it works in our community because Austin is huge but then it feels very small
1: it, it feels small but I, I feel like every weekend I meet 10 new people and I've heard of at least five of them and I'm like, ah, I finally met you. This is great. Yeah. A year later.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and so then, and and we're going to get into it here in a second. I'm, I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a second, but I'm going to say it. Nurse Doze is also here, so we're probably going to get into some science, because we usually do. But, uh, Sani, uh, yeah, give the listeners a little background and introduction to yourself, please. Yeah.
1: So, hello, everyone listening. Uh, my name is Sani Keller. And I, I kind of have an interesting background of coaching, leadership consultant, and also being a communication coach. And I'm moving into a place of uh, hopefully being a podcaster. So it's actually really wonderful being on a podcast today as I'm beginning the journey of hopefully becoming a podcaster.
0: Well, I think that that's how we started talking, right? Because you mentioned something and I was like, well, hey, what's up? And <laughs> you were talking to Erin already. So yeah. you already did know Erin.
1: Yeah, I've known Erin. Erin was, uh, I met her pretty early on at a dance class here in Austin. Of course. And she was <laughs> she was doing drinks for MSW. And with I met Jen? her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nice. For Jen's class. Yep. And I met her and had a great connection.
2: Fantastic. It's just like the networking we were talking about before. Yeah. Like with that. So he is a like a marketing genius. Like ah, really. Okay. And but his sales is a strong point. Mm. Right? Because he's like that's he did it for what, 13, 14 years at least. Yeah. A long Your whole time. life basically. He's had a business when you were like ten. So <laughs> like he just knows how to do it. So I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. So when we started the business, you know, I would ask him certain questions and then I would study the way he interacted with people. And it was very interesting, the flow when you interact with someone, it's, 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 it's like a dance. Yeah. It's really like a dance. Right. And so I would go up to him afterwards. I'm like, why did you say it a certain way like that? Why did you say it? So, oh, because then I had two options to go from there. Yeah, And I, and I never thought about that from like a. standpoint of like well you're you have options you're already thinking two steps ahead and then he's like well of course right like like in sports you're thinking two steps Mm -mm. ahead right we're always thinking that too but in business like well that makes sense too you have to know where it's going next right and so what was funny is that the same pop-ups people would come up to me like i said we do injections of like you know vitamins glutathione you know knack whatever and people are like what is this why why would i take knack why are you injecting what into my what now (laughs) And they would ask Baldo. Sometimes they're thinking it's me because yeah. we look alike, right? They'd it still happens. It, it still happens, yeah. This weekend even. even if I have long hair and glasses, they still think they're talking to Baldo. It's well, like, they
0: were talking to me to their labs. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I know what you're talking about. Is as far as, like, the terminology you're using, but I have no idea what you're talking about so in it, reference to the numbers you're talking about because I don't know you. And it's like, but you saw me the other day. I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> so, it's, so it's funny you
2: talk about the communication thing was we talked about, like, we have to make sure that we know what we're talking about to a certain degree yeah, and then know our limits mm-hmm. uh, because he would say, like, I don't know that answer. You go talk to him and I would go vice versa. So the leadership aspect, I think, too, was, you know, if you want to go into this, I keep talking about like, you know, communication, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what you do. Yep. Awesome. So when you're when you're talking to these Fortune 500 companies mm-hmm. and, and you're interacting with them, uh, is communication a big issue with them?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, my personal philosophy is that no matter, to a certain extent, no matter the challenge that someone is working through, There will be a pillar of communication that's a challenge. So for a lot of the Fortune 500 companies, I would say that like a big challenge we see is uh, inability to have feedback conversations, which is a communication challenge. Inability to set the right expectations for your employee, which to me is also a communication challenge. Lack of inclusivity, a communication challenge as it boils down to it. But there's a lot of different things that these companies struggle with that to me all boils down to communication. And I think also having the courage to have the conversations that you need to have in order to get where you want to go.
2: Right, right, right. And we had a meeting this past Wednesday. It was like our big, I guess, everything wrapped in one meeting was an all day thing you know we closed the clinic down and just laid it out there we had a whole laid out system in place to implement systems which yeah
0: it was a system to it was a meeting to talk about systems that we will use to make other systems work better, so that way the real systems can work (laughs) right
2: yeah and then it was also like what's working what's not like Mm -hmm. it was a full review
0: but but it was even like we we i mean the, the biggest thing that took well, the thing that took the longest time was creating an accountability chart of the whole organization, of the three organizations within one single meeting. So it's like, well, that in itself for one for one company can take forever. Yeah. They've never done it. And we did it for three companies, but then tried encompassing under one company. It's a lot. But, but it was beautiful because at the end of it, it's like, Yep. I'm taking the lead on that. And, th- and so there's no more, because that's going back to communication. Sometimes it's like, why do you know I have to do that? I thought you were going to do that. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And I think that when you reach that level of complexity too, where you have three different organizations, when you're working under it, I, a lot of other questions that I see from companies who scale really quick is this idea of who do I report to? Who do I go to? And that creates a lot of confusion. And when someone's in that really confused state, they can just freeze, and then they can't move forward in their work because they're just stuck in a certain level of confusion that's too much. So actually on that note, one thing that I have learned about recently is that we typically have a threshold for um, a certain range of confusion or difficulty, and it's an optimal level of confusion. And once we get past that point, we tend to freeze, give up, quit, So a a certain amount is okay can actually drive you forward and motivate you to do more. But if you're, if you're outside of that range, you can freeze. And when companies scale too quick, without that organization, you tend to get outside of that optimal zone.
0: Do you find that people like the scaling too quick usually comes in whenever there's there's an influx of money, like investment money?
1: I think, and, and you know what's interesting, I, I was in a conversation with someone recently that they told me that it's for larger corporations, it can be in the range of when you're moving from uh, $10 million of income into $100, of, or $100 million of income, that range is a really big jump. And you can see a lot of difficulty scaling. And that's also a range where you get mergers, acquisitions, people are bought. I would say like mergers and reorgs are a couple of the biggest areas where people begin to get confused because all of a sudden you are reorganizing a little too late, but you need to do it in order to move forward. But you have all these people who have, say, been at the company for a long time. And then all of a sudden, everything that they've known to be true for 10 years has changed. And it's really hard to adapt to something new.
0: Yeah. Well, because it's not like you can't approach it with you can no longer handle it. So you need to get kicked out. It's like, no, you just need more of the same people to handle different aspects of it. Right. Because then it is too much. Right? Yeah.
2: Well, I'm trying to wonder, like, whenever there's a merger, I mean, some positions get lost. Mm-hmm. Right. Only because it's either not needed and that's like discovered or the idea is that we already have someone. Mm hmm. They can do that same thing. We're just going to duplicate you know, their workload, I guess. I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Mergers are a very interesting way to look at it, right? It makes sense though because what you're saying is the miscommunication is if like imagine you have two companies that have pillars and core values mm-hmm.
3: and yes. that's
2: all they've talked about for 10, 20 years. That's how you said like, they've known. Yeah. And all of a sudden they come in, they're like, well, I don't like the way they're doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't like their ideology.
1: Yeah exactly
2: they're in the boardroom they probably don't even want to communicate now because they're like well that's not how we've done it Mm -hmm. right and you're like well this is how we're going to do it now Mm -hmm. so how do you how does uh, that's why it's essential to have like a meeting like we had whenever that happens probably but i mean let's take it to it like are you are you right there where there's maybe the mergers kind of thing and you're trying to get people on the same page
1: yeah. And I think one of the things that we focus on is also this idea of what is your personal purpose at work? Yeah, And if you are struggling to align yourself with the values of the business, what values do you have that you find in your role perhaps? And then could you scale that up to you know, what values do I have as myself as a leader? What values do I have when I interact with my teammates start a little bit smaller and then scale up to, okay, now how do my personal values interact with the values of the business? And can I see myself in the reflection of the business in some way, shape or form?
2: Now, I had a picture in my head of the movie Office Space where they're coming in and talking about, you know, like, so what do you do here? You Mm -hmm. know, kind of like, and it's the new company interviewing almost like, why should we keep you on and mm-hmm. it was very interesting from that standpoint does corporations view people as replaceable
1: N- not always i don't i mean it depends on the corporation i would say that i mean it's pretty well known that a corporation would rather keep you than lose you and have to spend the money to hire someone new because it's not only you have to
0: train them again you have yeah.
1: to train them so the to the point where they actually become billable or you know able to actually sustain revenue for that company can take a long period of time. Because it also takes away from other people's work to train them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I, I think that that on-ramp to really be set up in a new role, depending on the complexity of the job, can be anywhere from three, six, nine months to a year.
0: Yeah, so what, uh, to follow up on that, what I look at it now, because I used to think in terms of like, are people replaceable or not? and now i look at it are are roles replaceable like can that role not no longer be done because the way that we broke up like our companies now is like these are the the seats these are the positions that we need and these are the roles that need to be filled and then who can we identify within our organization that can fill that mm-hmm. like oh you go and do that right so yeah. So maybe you have someone that's qual like a quality person that could fill multiple mm-hmm. roles at any given time. Like, well, sweet, I want that person here with me as much as possible because if I ever need a different role filled or a different seat filled, then I know they can do it. Yeah. But yeah. the idea is that 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 whatever role they're sitting in at that t- at that time, that role is not
2: is definitely not replaceable. Right. But it, it's funny how you bring this up. So job descriptions, job roles, right? Uh, Define in human resources a person's position within the company. It's like this job's created because we need to fill this role. And then you go find the right person for that role. The way we looked at it with the company was that we had like, what, seven, eight people sitting there, I think, right? And we said, well, there's a lot of skill sets that each of the individuals carry with them, Mm -hmm. right? Like uh, Baldo alone has probably 10 to 15. He can name off the bat right now, right? And what's great about it is if you have like a Swiss army knife of tools that you can reach into and say like, okay, what is your best at? That's how we always look at it. Like, what are you best at? I know you're really good here and I know you'll do this because it's needed, but we're at the point now where it's like, you don't need to wear those hats.
0: Correct. Mm -hmm.
2: Right? Like, okay, what are you good at? Let's And if you 10 times it, that effort you master that you say whatever it is that you need to do to emphasize for the company then essentially now that's how you grow right Correct. And, I, and and it's not putting the right person in the right place it's like you said eliminating the stupid needs for you know things that are they're not making you money
0: yeah well i have a question for you to see if you've interacted with this type of situation cuz i hear it often where a company is really loves one of their employees that they have that they no longer need them for that specific job function anymore because they found some, or because someone came in or because they systemized that process. Mm -hmm. And I hear, I hear from both the employee and sometimes from the owners where it's like, like, Oh, they, they, uh, they're going to keep me on because, and they're going to create a position for me. Yeah. And does that work?
1: Sometimes. Um, I feel like I've seen it only because I've, I've actually experienced this myself a couple of times where a new role has been created for me because I have surpassed the um, the abilities of whatever role I'm in. It's kind of like I'm. they know that I can do more. So a new role gets created for me. But the challenge of that is also, does the company actually need that role? That new role. And do you have enough support to help guide the person to grow in that role? Right. And if you don't have enough guidance, That person's ability to sustain their own motivation, their self motivation, will eventually dwindle. And that's kind of the challenge, too, is that sometimes you come across a person where they have a ton of self motivation. They love the freedom of being in a role that they can create themselves and it will drive them. For other people, that will drive them for a certain amount of time and then they kind of go, Do you remember me? Yeah. Do you remember that I exist? Do you care about me? Do you care about my development? Yes or no? Because I see all these other people who have very clearly defined roles and they get the support that they need and they have a very clear path to on how to get to the next level.
0: Yeah. I always think about in terms of of, of soccer, I don't know if you're a soccer fan, Uh, but the number 10 guy, the number 10 is always reserved for the one player that doesn't really have a defined role, but he's the star because he can go in back and forth Mm -hmm. and some some teams don't have a number 10 because they don't have they don't have a player that can have that that oh, that can gotcha. have that creativity and then some people and some some teams will try to afford like no that's our guy he's been our superstar let's now give him the number 10 shirt mm-hmm. it's like yeah but he wasn't made for that he was he was a midfielder or he was like he was a defensive that yeah and sure he's your star but he's not he's not A number ten, where like he's creating things out of the blue, yeah, like a Messi, right? Like a Messi, everybody knows Messi, and he's like, you can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he's gonna succeed at it.
2: Mm -hmm. He's perfect definition of a number ten. But that's a unicorn.
0: Correct, and and correct, And, and then there are players that have that, but they get they get filled in like, just like, well, no, right now we need a midfielder. So that's what you're going to go play. Mm -hmm. And they get stuck with that. And they just don't perform because they're like, I know I want that freedom. Yeah.
1: And I I think that that that's one of the things in the leadership consulting world that I think I've really learned is that in order to motivate your employees the best, you need to listen to what they want. It's not just looking at their skill set and saying, wow, it seems like you have skill X, Y, and Z. You'd be perfect for this role. Let's just put you in there. It's it's a dance, like you were saying earlier, of thinking, okay, I see that this could be a really good fit, but also let me ask them and hear from them, what do they like? What do they want? How do they get motivated? Yeah. And take an inventory of the full person to help them figure out how do they get to the next level.
2: Yeah, and that's what I think is interesting about corporations because... Do they have the time to actually sit down and talk with each individual and say, what can we do for you? Yeah. Right. Like, and which, which is kind of what Wednesday was also as well was saying like, what is it that you need Yeah. in order to succeed in this company, what, to make your job feel more fulfilled, to get more satisfaction, to get more reward. Yeah. Like, and what can we do for you? What, and, and everyone said, I don't need that. I need this. Yeah. Yes. Well,
0: I think part of it stemmed from the conversation that you and I had about Erin and, and, like, her saying, like, Valda just doesn't listen. And I'm just like, well, why don't she just tell me what she needs? I'll, you know, whatever. Because that happened even during the meeting. Mm-hmm. People were like, we haven't been able to solve this for, like, two months and whatever. And I was like, what what's the issue? They're like, this little thing is like, oh, give me a second. And then it's like, fixed. Like, why don't you just tell me in the first place, right? Yeah. But we had that conversation. It's like, well, there's there's had to be, there has to be a system of communication. Yes. Because it was easy. I was like, Oh sweet. But then every Monday I'll just ask her like, Hey, how can I help you make your job easier?
2: Right. But it was interesting. Cause I, when they were talking about this initially, cause a lot of times you get things secondhand, right? Mm-hmm. When you grow, you, I told him, I said, well, you know, we're not going to have as many meetings together and face to face. So, you know, like it's going to be interesting. Communication has to be there. Well, when we were growing, and Aaron and Baldo are, are miscommunicating because it happens. It's like a marriage. Like you just literally like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't understand what you were saying. <laughs> like, but it was interesting when I was talking to Baldo about it. I said, like, you do realize that that's not the way that Aaron communicates. Mm-hmm. And he's like, No, but this is the way I communicate. I said, You're thinking it from your perspective. Think it from her perspective.
1: Yes, yes.
2: What is it that she needs? And he goes, I don't know. I said, she's telling you. Mm-hmm. She's telling you what she needs. Well, she's not coming out and just saying it. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't, you don't have to have her do that. Yeah. Okay? What she's saying is she needs help. Mm-hmm. That's all she's saying. Just look at it that way. Okay? What does she need help with? And he goes, well, I don't know. She needs to tell me. I said, why don't you just ask her? Yeah. And he goes, okay, perfect. Every Monday I can just ask her, what do you need help with me today? Mm-hmm. I said, you can literally put that in your calendar. Yeah. He goes, yes. I said, that's perfect because Baldos is a to-do lister and so what I've, I looked at from the company standpoint, there's to-do listers and, and deadlines. Mm-hmm. So I asked people, I'm like, are you a deadline person or are you a to-do lister? Yeah. Baldur's a to-do lister. He's not a deadline person.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Aaron is a deadline person. Yeah. <laughs> That's how she is. And it's great because that means the follow throughs is there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Baldur's the type of person that starts it, makes it happen, moves on. Hmm. Okay, because the system's established now, right? The communication was like, no, I need you to come back and check on this.
1: And that was it yeah yeah and yeah and you know what so the formula that I think of that really takes the leader to the next level is essentially to move from leader or from manager to leader the missing element which you've kind of touched on is coaching so you can think of the formula manager plus coach equals leader and the missing element that I see in a lot of leaders and corporations is having that ability to coach and that ability to coach is that ability to listen. And I think the more difficult one is that ability to flex. So recognizing I have a natural communication style, use my direct report also has a natural communication style, but it's my job as the leader to be able to flex, to understand a little bit more so that we can meet somewhere in the middle there yeah. and I, understand.
2: I agree with that completely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think that same conversation I pointed out the same people were in the meeting. Like, you know, I was like, this is how they communicate. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like, I think I brought this up about CJ. I said, do you know how CJ thinks? And CJ and Baldo are very much like a savant in a stand of systems. Mm -hmm. They get it. They can see those systems are in place. They know they create them. Yeah. Which is incredible. They're engineers. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not how my mind works. Okay. And I said, um, i said did you see and i i love C- uh, cj is nothing against you i love you and uh i looked at uh, cj's laptop one time and all his browsers are open and it like shit tons yeah. like 40 and baldo doesn't even want to look at it because he's just like <laughs> i cannot like i just no.
0: it feels like it's undone right like it, for me it feels like well, you haven't completed all that yeah. like that's how i that's what i think because that's the way i would talk to myself mm-hmm. it was like why is there five, like, because I did, I did this even yesterday. There was, like, five tabs open. When I opened up my laptop, I was like, what the hell did I not complete yesterday? Yeah. Like, that was my first thought. And, and, and then it was nothing. It was just, I just was tired, and I closed my laptop, so I didn't close the tabs. Mm-hmm. But, but everything was done. Yeah. Don't forget <laughs> this. So, that, so,
2: on my phone, I have, what, like, I'll show you right here. My emails, they're unread. Oh, God. 6,000. That's the combined of all four of my emails or whatever, right? Yeah, your face. (laughs) CJ goes, oh, that's nothing. Watch this. It was like 50,000. Yeah. Mine are always at zero.
1: I'm like – I'm not quite at zero, but I've, I've, I actually went through this year and I got rid of and filed them away by year. I got rid of excess and then filed <laughs> them away by year. So I try to have no more than 50 at a time in my inbox. But 75% of them, I email notes to myself or just notes of things that I want to do or look up.
0: So my, for those of you that are <laughs> nerds out there, my system <laughs> is that I, I have this one app called, uh, one app called, uh, what's it called? It is, it's called, anyways, it's Spark. And uh, that's all it's called, Spark. It doesn't have Spark notes, Spark email, it's just Spark. But it's an email thing that can integrate to a bunch of things. So it integrates to my Asana. Mm. And so every time I get an email, I either go right click and mark it as spam or click on Asana and make it a task well, and smart. give it to someone yeah, or just delete it. That's super smart. And so every time. And so every morning, well, I only check it three times a week, but... But Monday Mondays is when usually when it's most full, but by the end of the day, it's zero because it's either already become a task or if it's a receipt, then I, I grab my QuickBooks app, take a picture of it. And it's already in my taxes. Mm
2: -hmm. You check your email three times a week. Yeah. How often do you check your email? Like
1: five times a day, but also for a corporate job for my work, I'm always on email. You have to, I have to be always on email. Um, but for my personal email, I just keep it up. I check it a few times a day.
2: That's interesting. So a lot of people will communicate through email, mm-hmm. which is nice. Because, um, you know, you if you send an email, you imagine like get to it when you can. That's how I look at it. I have people answer my email for me now.
3: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah.
2: It's awesome. And I catch myself checking email to be like, did anything come in? And I'm like, oh, wait, it's already been taken care of. That's really great. Yeah. So then the unreads are like. If it's unread, that means some already looked at it and said we don't need to do it, or they, they would have told me because they'll literally come up to me and say, "Hey, there's a couple unread you need to look at," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "This is perfect." And so, <laughs> imagine you have systems in place where you rely on people to have that communication on for you mm-hmm. from your immediate kind of like needs. I think what happens is it's like this hierarchy of foundation that, that serves your soul. As as an owner, as a practitioner, as anything that's managing, because what happens is if you don't have to worry about your initial systems, like the closest systems you have to your emails, your messages, your phone calls, whatever, everything after that is like, well, the, you should have taken the initial avenues to, to communicate this way with me.
0: Yeah, well, the, and if once I get an assistant,
2: email will always be zero because there's a system, right? Like this is, this is how you do it. Right. So that's how I look at it. So then it's almost like I don't have to worry about that at all. And here's what's crazy about it. From the health standpoint, the five times a day. So when I talk to people at night, I'm like, what are you doing right before you go to bed? And a lot of people are like, well, I'm answering emails. Really? Yeah. When you, you shake your head, which is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but how long did it take you to get there?
1: I've actually been very good with boundaries my whole life.
2: Including that as well in the corporate world. Yes. Interesting. So
1: even when I was in college, I worked full-time 40 hours a week. I did school full-time. I had phenomenal grades, and I never stayed up past either 11 p.m. or midnight doing homework not once. Wow. All four years.
2: That is diligent. Yeah. Damn. That I, is.
1: Because I schedule, I used to schedule myself to a tier. I was very strategic with my time. I could see 10 steps ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I knew exactly how to schedule my time.
0: There's plenty of times that I'd be like studying at 1.30 in the morning, and I'd text John and be like, Dude, we can make last call right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sweatpants and everything. I'm like, yeah, I could. I've been
2: studying for 30 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, no, the time aspect of it and the scheduling at nighttime is interesting because people will schedule late night emails into wrapping up the day. No. Now, I hate that idea. Well, it's it's interesting because even executives are the same way. You know, we see them now. You talk about coaching. It's more of a therapist Mm -hmm. that I I turn into out there in the back because they come in and they're like, I'm tired all the time. I'm like, why are you tired all the time? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm here. I'm like, well, let's go through it. Let's look at your routine. Mm -hmm. And right before bed, they're straining themselves. Mm -hmm. They're literally still staring at a white screen or a blue screen with another blue screen on Mm -hmm. with the fluorescent lights on. And they're worried about this email that they finally got to or this text message that they're trying to get to and they're like – Which is don't... not going to get solved while you're which, sleeping. <laughs> but, which, right, but at the same time, whatever decision needs to be made right now can wait till the next day. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So then reverse that. Go to the morning or go forward to the next morning. So then I tell people, I'm like, do you put your phone on airplane mode? Because I found out that Baldo at a certain point will silence his phone.
0: Oh, it's, our, it's always on airplane. I, my phone's always on uh, no disturb.
2: So late nights, like 10 p.m. or so, let's say I have an idea and I'm about to go to bed. I text Baldo. He won't respond. In fact, he won't respond. I don't even know when he'll respond sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And I used to be like, why didn't you respond? He's like, well, I don't respond to my phone after 10 p.m. It's on airplane mode. But here's the thing. He sends us messages sometimes at like 11 p.m. And I was like, well... Why that? He goes, well, you should be on airplane mode, so you shouldn't even be getting those messages then.
3: Mm.
2: (laughs) Yeah. He says, those are for you in the morning. Yeah. So this is what I found out. I keep my phone on airplane mode for like the first hour Mm -hmm. when I wake up. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I don't want 10 messages (laughs) all them coming in. Like, dude, we got to do this and blah, blah. Or like, man, I was thinking about this and I'm just like, no. yeah, Yeah. Not right now.
0: Yeah, so I see that as like that's not my responsibility
2: to set your boundaries, right? Like, it's it's <laughs> not.
1: I, I, I truly believe that it's
2: not. Yes, but if everyone had your boundaries already set, yeah. you know, you, we wouldn't even have our our <laughs> positions, right? A job right now, like that's what happened. It's like you're doing everything right. Good job. Keep yeah. It up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Correct. Like, it's the having phones makes it so
2: easy to have boundaries. Is the way that I think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's convenience though for most people. So, like, the, for example, right now, there's a person who wants uh, my cell phone number. Yeah. And I'm deciding whether or not to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Is that a boundary that you have have decided many times over?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: No problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're just thinking, like, nope. So, what do you do instead? Email, possibly? Yeah. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> 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 That's I, what I say. I
1: honestly, though, I feel very lucky that I've always had a filter for boundaries, or I've always had a filter too. I think I learned from a younger age that I do not have an addictive personality. So I'm also able to see all the ways that anything could t- could feel, be addictive. Yeah. And I'm very easily able to say no to it. So I, I, I understand that I operate differently or I'm able to separate emotion from those boundaries a little more easily than other
0: people. Was, that, was that part of your upbringing? I don't think so. I think
1: it's just one of the ways that I'm wired, which I recognize. I feel very, very, very lucky for Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's allowed me to do the things that I have in life. Even just like I mentioned in college, like working full time and going to school full time, that's all because I've had that ability to have boundaries. There's no one to say no to something. I'm very comfortable saying no.
2: Yeah. 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 (laughs) I've only only learned that, I guess, what, last three years, I think. I think 2019. Is when I heard it for the first time. Someone mm-hmm. said, "Learn how to say no." Yeah, didn't understand at the time because we were saying yes to everything, right? Yeah. The pop-ups, hey, come drive across town and do this at seven in the morning on a Saturday. We're like, yes, we need the money, we need. But the th- I think that was also needed at the beginning. It was. To we maybe, did do
0: it for way too long. I think we, we <laughs> taught
2: ourselves at a certain point a value. Yeah. Uh, of what our worth was Mm -hmm. for our time Mm -hmm. and our schedule. And after a while you start looking and you say, well, they say it's only an hour event, but that's really not the truth, right? Like you imagine like the dance with Jen, like Aaron has to drive there. Yes. Has to set up. Also had to prepare the night before. Yep. Let's keep that in mind. All right. Or even the week before leaving. So it's not just like it took an hour.
1: No. And then you have to do the event. Then everyone wants to chat for about an hour. Yeah. Then you have to pack up. Then you have to drive home. Yeah. That's at least three to four hours then you of your time. You
0: have to stats, and then you have to like oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah hours of your time. Yeah. So I look at it and. When we were younger, I guess, into the business, uh our time was our sweat equity mm-hmm. right, and what's interesting about our story um we since we used that as our investment, we didn't take investors,
4: mm, gotcha,
2: because we did all the things that investors would never do, yeah, like show up on a pop up or be the face for a startup company, yeah. Right, they would never do that because they say, "Well, that's of course not, because we're smarter than that. We're gonna we're gonna use other people's money to do that." Well, what's incredible about it is we've said no to so many investors. I can't tell you the list, and wow. it makes them want to throw more money at us.
1: It does. It drives up your value. Bingo. Mm-hmm.
2: It's really funny, actually. Sometimes, like, nah, they're like, "How much you want?" I'll write you a forty thousand dollar check right now. It's like, nope. <laughs> like, no. 40,000 like what is it you want my soul for $40,000 like saying, was that what you're telling me only 40,000 that's it you yeah know? and people look at it and what's really funny about it if you guys start talking numbers that are really high up there which you the numbers that you've probably heard are astronomical yeah. right billions yeah right you start thinking in that capacity then all of a sudden like if you make decisions not based off of we need this money yeah then you're you take emotions out of it mm-hmm. very easily.
1: Yeah, I've actually um I've had this vision when that kind of icebreaker question comes up of if you could spend a day in the life of anyone, who would it be? I always say I would love to know what it's like to be the CEO of a major corporation who makes billions of dollars, because the types of decisions that you have to make at that level, you don't know what the person who's the most you know, junior intern at the company is experiencing. You don't actually care about them. Yep. You do, but you don't. But you're thinking about way larger relations. There's um, an oil and gas company that I am consulting with right now, and they're thinking about that they have to pull out of their um, wells out of Russia, because of the war. And yep. it's decisions mm. like that that they have to think about that is just absolutely insane to me.
0: Well, because whatever that decision is, it's going to mobilize a lot of people and a lot of money. And
1: and it, also the entire economy of the world. Like That's crazy. That decision to pull wells out of Russia as a major oil and gas supplier for the world, you affect the economy of the world.
0: Yep. So imagine someone <laughs> yep. coming like, hey, like, This uh, employee always complains about, like, whatever. And he's like, dude, I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, fire him. You know, I don't care. Like, whatever. I I actually,
2: I I sympathize with that because uh, I had a friend one time ask me um, if you were the leader uh, of like a million people. Like, he just, it was a situation. Yeah. And this came up. I forget what the question was exactly right now, but it was like, what would you tell them? I said, I would give them this straight answer like you need to do this here are your options and if you don't take this uh, option and you don't run with it you're screwed Mm -hmm. and we're not going to sit here and give you our resources and everything else because you didn't prepare Mm -hmm. he's like that's harsh and I was like if you have a million people that you have to delegate and answer to, the thing is you can't take emotion into that at all. You have to do what's better for the greater good. It's hard. It's very, very hard. And I think what happens is this capital consciousness comes into play because what they see their people as numbers, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right, And which is very interesting because if you look at them as little assets, then you're right. You say, I do value every single person, even the junior intern because you know what? I hope that junior intern works here for 30 years. Yeah. Right, that's how they look at. Well, I hope
0: it. I get to know that junior intern. I hope they can replace me one day if now. they're really
2: good. Right? Yeah.
0: Wait. So I like that question. What uh, you brought it up um, the capital con- com- Ca- capital
2: consciousness capital
0: capital consciousness conscious consciousness. capital
2: either one. <laughs> <that person. laughs>
0: uh, conscious capitalism. There we go. What does that mean to you?
1: I have no idea. <laughs>
0: I mean, just think of those terms. And then see if you can come up with something. We can come back to it here in a yeah. second, but just think about that. Okay, well, let's, let's
2: separate. Capitalism. What does capitalism mean to you? Economy. <laughs> okay. What does consciousness mean to you? Aware. Awareness. Bingo. That was my answer. That was right. You know what's incredible? We were in a group of corporates, uh-huh. and that same question was asked to all of them, and they did not answer like that at all. Really? Nope. They gave you that. They gave us that same look that you gave. It was like, what is capital consciousness? Yeah. Yeah. And then the guy goes, let's break it down. Yeah. And the capitalism, they went through the room. All the corporate said is blah, 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 blah. And then when it came to consciousness, no one could answer it. What? Baldo was the only one that answered what you said. Yeah.
1: To me, that's the easiest one. I wouldn't know how to describe capitalism to you in more words than a few. So you're
2: in a room full of corporate heads. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And they don't know what consciousness – keep in mind, this is in year, what, 2021? Yeah, this was last year. This was last year. This was their first meeting back during the whole, yeah, you know, first time seeing people. We still had the Zoom, you know, meeting in the back with the screen, yeah. But yeah, they said, "What does consciousness mean to y'all?" And no one could give that That's answer. That's
1: insane to me. they n- are they aware that they have a conscience?
0: No, <laughs> yeah. they weren't. They weren't. They and they, I think they were. I think part of the 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 confusion or or the awe was that why are we talking about consciousness in a
2: in a, in, a, in a capitalism setting
0: it, it was a networking group for for heads of corporate companies. mergers acquisition i mean
2: literally the first guy i meet in there i he goes what do you do i say well we own a vitamin bar i'm a practitioner we uh-huh. have a supplement company and a media company what do you do he's like uh mergers and acquisition blah blah and he said something after that i was like what what does that mean what do you do yeah he goes, we buy companies and break them up
1: that's really sad <laughs> that
2: was I, that was we stopped talking right after that yeah. and they said, okay, cool, nice to meet you and I turn away. Yeah, There was a room full of all those people. Wow. And so that's the thing about it. When they opened up the meeting, they said, so it's 2021, how have all the businesses done? Yeah. The systems are stronger than ever. Everyone's doing wonderful here. Our numbers couldn't be better. Yeah. Capitalism is a tool to help change the world. That's what they said. Yeah. And one person said, what about the people that got laid off?
1: Yeah. What, what about the people in general?
2: Yeah, what about the people? No one, no one talked about people at all. Yeah. No one talked about people in that room.
1: And that's that's actually a big part of the consulting I do is almost kind of bringing, you could say, consciousness back to the fact that there are people at your company yeah. and those people have needs. And it's really, I think to me, the way that, I mean, people in my company will describe it differently, but I really see it as just grounding it back into your people skills, and like how to interact with one another, all the way from how do you relate to one another to how do you relate to your, to yourself and how do you inspire people considering people in mind, not just the vision that you wanna say, but how do you relate it back to the
2: people? Bingo, because here's the thing, even the janitor who cleans up at that building is proud to work at that job Yeah. because of the company that they're working for. Like the the person that cleans up Disney, I'm sure is like, I am a proud employee at Disney. I mm-hmm. clean Mickey's poop. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. You had to throw that in there.
0: I'm sure that's exactly God, that's what, I'm what sure they that's say. That's what it is. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> no. I'd be fucking happy about this. Like, dude, I clean Mickey's poop. What do you do?
2: I mean, I I guess out of the jobs that are available out in Orlando, I'm sure that's a better paying one, maybe, hopefully. I don't know. There's perks there, right? You You probably
1: have great perks.
2: (laughs) I'm sure they're saying, like, guess what? My full family gets to go to Disneyland anytime they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I look at it. So then the past couple years, uh, you know, we have – this is a – a communal bathroom next door, right, with all the businesses that are here in the, in the building, right? And you know how hard it was to find someone who would routinely clean the bathrooms for really? the last two years? Yeah. Long
4: time. Wow.
2: No, they wouldn't show up. Wow. They wouldn't show up. They wouldn't be here. And what's incredible is that they're like, "We'll just find someone else. And I was like, why doesn't anyone want to do this? That's the first question. No one wants to really go around and think like, I want to go clean up people after people. But then you think like it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. So I remember reading about CEOs that knew the janitor's names. Yeah. Because they worked – they literally would show up the same time every day mm-hmm. and would leave and they would say, hey, so how's your family doing? And yeah. what, what have they been up to? And they you know, give them all these it little – It makes cris-
1: a really big difference. To feel seen in that way and to feel valued makes a huge difference in the heart and the mind of your employee. Right. Incredible. I I actually think about that often. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why companies will work so hard to keep people. If you have someone who is a great leader, you can't replace that necessarily. That is really hard to come by, including all the way up to your CEO. If you have a great CEO who really sees and talks to their employees, people will leave if that CEO leaves. People will leave if that great leader leaves. If they don't feel seen and heard anymore, it's one more reason to leave.
2: I've seen and made decisions based solely off of what's the greater good for the company mm-hmm. and how are the staff going to respond to this yeah and it is a moral decision mm-hmm. on a lot of levels yeah ethics comes into play mm-hmm. and I think what's interesting about it is the decision is very easy mm-hmm. if you have core values yes so then it, you talk, it became easier last it, it, yesterday right like, well or on Wednesday it, yes it did but what was really interesting was going back to the. whole – I told her that ice. That ice. Is oh yeah, that's the, yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting was the the activity was come up with three words to describe the vision of this company mm. or the values of this company. Yeah. Right. And what was interesting was when we did this exercise a couple of years ago, we came up with two words. A Couple years later, it was three words. A year later was this past Wednesday, and uh, one of the words Change. is. One of the words
0: is still one of the original words. And then the and the other word is basically implemented into the
2: other two. Correct. <laughs> but it was what the other five or six people in the room saw the company as.
1: Yes. And values, I mean, values are so important. It's one of the most foundational things that a company lives by, but also you as a human being live by. When times get tough and things are difficult, you will always subconsciously lean back on your values to help you make a decision on how to move forward and what feels right for you in your life. And if those values aren't there and you're not aligned to them, it's one more reason for you to say, oh, like, I don't know if I should be here then.
0: So whenever you're working with these big companies, Mm -hmm. do some of them don't have core values that that you can clearly identify
1: some of them do have values that they're looking to work on i actually would say especially uh over the past couple of years when we've had a big diversity equity and inclusion movement a lot of companies went through a rebrand of their values Mm. to better match this new vision that that they want to begin to create
0: yep interesting yeah
1: but but we actually do a lot of work um at the individual level helping leaders determine their values as a leader because you have your values as a human being, but also as a leader, there's not one cookie cutter way to do it. You can be, uh, there's just so many different styles of how you can be a leader at your company. And it there should be a really nice blend of your values as an individual and your values as a leader that come together to make your leadership brand.
2: That makes sense. And you made me think about something. CEO, there are a lot of CEOs who aren't leaders. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that until you just said it right now and I have a prime example. Yeah. This gentleman a couple of years ago at this event we went to said he runs an $80 million company mm-hmm. and he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he literally says it to a group full of successful business people. Yeah. And he said, I have imposter syndrome at the highest level you could possibly imagine. Wow. But what's interesting about his story was he grew that company mm-hmm. and then they merged and acquired. Wow. So they acquired, which was different. So then he took on 30, 40 new employees, yeah. jumps up the value, and he's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't want to – he literally comes out and says, I never wanted to be this. I never wanted to be the CEO of an $80 million company. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to manage people. Like I, I don't I, – like literally about to break down.
1: And I, and I actually think that there is a really um, good point in what he said, which is that you shouldn't have to want that. I think that in today's world, there is a lot of pressure that we feel like the next level should be leadership. But one of my, my favorite employees that I work with, he is very, he's like at the top of the company and he's made it very clear that he's like, I do not wanna be a people leader. I am an individual contributor and that is who I am and that is what I love. And he loves doing that. And I think that there needs to be more conversation about how can you grow yourself professionally and personally and do it your way and it's okay to not want what everyone else wants. It's okay to not want to be the CEO. I don't want to be a CEO. I don't want to make decisions about the economy. That sounds terrible for me personally. Sure. Um, but I think that that is completely okay. And I think that it is also completely okay to not want to lead people.
0: But I think that being an individual contributor is also and, and sitting in that in a very powerful way yeah. is also a form of leadership, right? Yeah. Because then everyone, then you can be an example for everyone else. Like, you know what? I can, I feel that way too. Like I'm going to sit in this power.
1: Yeah. When my, when the, my uh, peer told me that who's several levels above me, that really, it, 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 you're right. It did inspire me because I've always felt that, that I don't, I love working with people leaders and I love helping them and I understand the skills of it, but it is, I mean, it is really hard to do your work and then support people in doing the best work of their lives. That is really, really hard. And to do that all at the same time, that's why you have people who do email at midnight every night because they spend all day leading other people and trying to get their work done, trying to have a life. And then the only moments that they have left is at the very end of the day at midnight to do some of their individual work. Yeah, It's really hard. And if you don't have the skills to coach in the flow of work and be a leader in the flow of work you end up segmenting your time in a really difficult way that you don't manage it well
2: interesting that is that is a great way to think and i can i can speak to that example too by the email thing yeah at the end of like say 9 p.m i quickly realize it's either my time and what i want to do with it or i choose to go to bed Mm -hmm. because at this point i've accomplished everything i need to do that day Mm mm-hmm that feeling of accomplishment, the to-do list. I don't have a to-do list. I don't. But I know that everything I needed to do got done that day. Yep. And and I feel good about it. There's a sense of health that comes with it. I sleep better. Mm-hmm. You know, I wake up feeling happier. I mean, when we first started in the second year, I would wake up saying, I hope that we make X amount today because that's the number we need to make today, yeah. you know? And we did it manifestation is a powerful tool right it really is but that's the thing when you're in a leadership position it's really fascinating i had a a, an old mentor would make business decisions with ethical influences involved Mm -hmm. which meant he was a very gray line of like well it's for the best of the company i'm like but morally was it the right decision they're like we're way down that already like we need to we need to do what's best for the company yeah, because we're feeding everyone, mm-hmm. right? And you, you look at it and you say, wow, that's really interesting. At what point does a company say we need to reevaluate what we, who we are and what we're doing?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know. It, I mean, is that in a loss? Because a lot of times people – I don't know how many corporations are actually operating in the loss sometimes. Oh, a lot. Right? Oh, a Cause ton. Because they talk about 1% increase – Profit. I'm like, that's it.
1: Oh my god! Almost every company, because for part of the the pre work for when I get onboarded onto a client is to look at their 10K, all of their like quarterly and annual reports. Every company's in debt, millions of dollars in
2: debt. Why? Because they need that as operating cash flow. What there was that? a point in corporate like you need debt. Yeah, that was a thing. Like you need working debt, and I hear that there's good debt and all that stuff they talk about, but but why?
0: I don't know. I,
1: I, I genuinely don't.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting because when we looked at P&Ls, and I I didn't study business. He has a freaking MBA, right? Like, I don't have You would that. probably know then why why companies are in debt and what the point is. Well,
0: because you're leveraging having the money now at a lesser percentage. But yeah. the thing is you're always working. I get why yeah. from a numbers. like Or even like a PPL loan, right? Like, we sure. do have one of those, and that's just like it's 1%. Like, there's no way we can ever, like, outrun that. Yeah. Right? But most of the time it's not one percent. Yeah. Most of the time it's 20 percent. Right? Like or ten percent. Or some of the better companies might have lesser. Maybe someone does have a five percent, but you're talking
2: billions of dollars. But it's but is it more relationship like the debt is paying the banks and the banks are happy with that so they will continue to give them more money.
0: Correct. And the and, and the thing about it is that in, in a sense, mathematically it kind of makes sense. It's like, well, I can borrow um you know, ten million dollars right now and and I'm gonna and as long as I pay a thousand dollars a month back, then then I'm actually in the I'm winning, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm actually using that to make about twelve percent. So I'm really winning two percent. Mm-hmm. But then the moment that you don't do that, and now you're behind three or four months, yeah. and and you're stressed about your like your employees and like your management system, and all of a sudden you're like, fuck, we're like. Now we're like $20 million in debt. Running a company like, is Now hard. we're actually in $20 million, <laughs> including the math that I just explained. I'm still even way farther behind. Yeah. And then bankruptcy is a tool. You, you know
1: what's funny about that? Um, just the way that you talk about all the systems of running a company, one of the things that kind of cracks me up is when someone is talking about um, like doubling or tripling or quadrupling your income, it's like, oh, just start a business. Like, I don't know if you understand that it's not just saying, yeah, I'm going to start a business. There's like, there's so many different elements that go into that. It's not just yes or no.
2: I had talked to a business owner one time that said, there's a lot of business owners that are broke. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. We were in New York City and we were looking in Brooklyn at all the places that were for lease. Yeah. The only places that were open were like, you know. Cell phone places or deli marts, and I'm like, dude, they're not making a million dollars off this little store. No, there's no way. And I think about the people that own a gas station if they own multiple, they're making money, but if not, they're like, this is what I do to survive, yeah. And it's like, okay, imagine after that gas station, maybe they make 40,000 a year, 50,000 a year, they're like, that's my salary, yeah. And I'm thinking, like, it's really fascinating when people come into the corporate world, salaries have increased tra- like drastically, mm-hmm. right. Boston has a place of so big value that the housing market is like tripled in the last two years. Yeah. The same price as a loft in New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm like, how the hell can people afford to live here? But yet everyone here is in corporate.
1: But but you know what? Because I think at one point a while back uh, – someone told me, oh, Sonny, you should look into buying a house. And I had a bunch of friends um, who were in their 20s tell me that. And then when I talked to some friends of mine in their 30s and 40s, they were like, remember, when you buy a house, you take out a loan, which means that you're in debt, which means that you don't own it, really, until you pay it off. Until then, the bank actually owns it. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's part and you of You
2: have to pay taxes. Yeah. And then you have well, so to pay taxes. If, if you don't pay, <laughs> you property, pay taxes. Here's the thing even after you pay for that house, there's still property taxes. Yeah. So, if you don't pay your property taxes, guess what happens? You don't own it. You don't own it. Yeah. Same thing. Go a step further. You go to land. Yeah. So, you know, there's ownership of the land above ground mm-hmm. and ownership of the land below ground. Yeah. And the same person might not own both. Yeah. And what happens if you don't pay your property taxes for either one? And so I'm thinking like, wow, that's incredible. So when we were younger, I was told, you go to school, mm-hmm. then you get the house, right? And my kids, if they go to college, is it an investment? Is it worthwhile? What is college going to cost them in you know 20 years? A lot of money. And that's what I look at and I say, okay, people tell me nowadays they go to college because you get to study something that you are interested in. Yeah. Someone's like, I'm going to go and study French. like Wow, for $60,000 a year, you get to study French mm-hmm. and you become, you know.
0: I got Duolingo's at
2: 15 bucks a month. You can, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I look at it now. Yeah. Because if you're a realtor mm-hmm. and you're 18 years of age, why would you ever go to college? Yeah. Uh,
1: but I think some of it, too, is still perceived value. I went to college and I loved it. And granted, I'm a lot in debt right now because of it. Yeah. But I felt like, too, you, you also have to take into account – the other skills that you learn, the life skills, the communication skills, the social skills. And I think part of the reason why I think about that is because I was a communication major. And so I saw, and in, in even to this day, the value of just learning about yourself and how you operate in different environments, in different social settings, in the things that make you triggered, not triggered. There is a value to that that you can't always put a price on. That being said, I'm a firm believer in, you know, take whatever path that you want in life I'm not saying to do one thing or the other if you become a realtor and don't go to college you learn a lot of other life skills that I didn't learn because I went to college
3: yeah
0: yeah so yeah
1: there, there, it, there is value in every choice
0: yeah it's just uh, the idea I mean but we have laws that no longer apply mm-hmm. right like school systems the systems no longer apply yeah. right like you can get so much more education so much quicker I mean I I mean, even I read every single day and I learn something new. It's and I was true. like, dude, I've learned more since I've gotten out of college because I've had more time <laughs> to read about the things that I'm actually doing. Yeah. And being better at the things that I'm actually doing than I did in taking some freaking, you know, geology class that, like, sure, I like rocks, but.
1: It's true. I, because I, I feel like I spent a certain amount of money on my communication degree. And then a few years later, I got, uh, I went through a coach training. And that was also like, significantly less money and I learned exactly what I wanted to learn, yeah. which is how to be a coach.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I have four degrees <laughs> on my wall over there. And uh someone told me one time they're like, you're either gonna be the smartest person I know or the most broke person I've ever met. <laughs> And I said, Yeah, I feel like that sometimes and that was like ten years ago or whatever. But I look at it now and I remember this guy who at the time I was going through this program, he was also going through the same program I was uh, mind you this is all healthcare programs mm-hmm. licensures and all that stuff right he goes man when you get that last licensure though man you come talk to me I'll tell you how to make money with that because you'll be worth your weight in gold wow and I was like wow that's interesting I've never ever been told that as a healthcare practitioner and this is also a chiropractor who says you know you can own your own business mm-hmm. here's the thing in chiropractor school they didn't teach you how to run a business yeah. they taught you how to help people you go to nursing school where well, they teach you how to treat people Right, So when you get out, here's the thing. You have all these people that are walking around working for hospital systems that don't have any leadership when it comes to it because they don't know how to – you know what leadership is in medicine? Hear one, see one, do one. If you see it one time, you listen, but you better do it on your own because I don't have to show you again. Wow. Those are the systems in place, right? And you wonder why there's so many medical errors, right? But if you look at and you say, go back to the training and learning, I prepared me for life after school. The clinical experience, the real life experience, right? When you're in there, yeah. I mean, I stayed, I stayed up last night reading and studying, preparing to know more. And I look at all the practitioners out there; are they they have continued education. Mm-hmm. Do they go back and learn more? Are they continuously learning? I mean, what you read, you read. I'm assuming, right? You listen to podcasts. You listen to podcasts. Most people, when they get older, I think should be learning more. You should be undoing all your beliefs and your ideology because just like science if you discover something new it undoes everything
3: mm-hmm.
2: it undoes everything and if you still believe in the old ideology and don't adapt that's how a business dies mm-hmm. the business is not willing to say we're doing it wrong yeah the, i mean the, someone
0: called us uh ballerinas one time yeah because all we did was fucking pivot all we did was pivot
2: <laughs> dead serious we said okay and you know what's funny we're talking to baldo he says, tell me the parameters and what we can, do, mm-hmm. and and what we can can't and, do and what we can't do and let's go from there. Because if the answer is always there, yeah. then just tell me what the parameters are and we can figure out how to play within the lines. Mm-hmm. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. And most business and leaders, if they stay up late night, I, I wonder what they're thinking about.
0: I do too. That's also how I handle my, my to-do list There's like. I prefer to make – there is a to-do list, but more importantly is I have a daily don't-do list.
2: A don't-do list? Yeah. A don't daily – of course, right? He has a to-do list for everything. <laughs> but it's like just
0: make sure you don't do these things and you're, you'll be fine because then I'll find myself doing these things. Yeah. The, I, my do-not-do list are the things that I find myself where I'm like – I have just spent like 45 minutes. On, like It didn't serve me. Yeah. That makes sense. And so I have a don't do
2: list. Oh, I love that. A don't do list. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. Yeah, uh, that's imagine. That's imagine. The communications thing going back to it. So we do like a sauna. We have Slack and all that stuff. And then we still have texts. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm like, why did you just call him? Just and it's funny. He always says we work better face to face. But yet, all these people work from their laptops. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, you talk about communication. Is everyone really communicating over Zoom that well?
1: No, I mean, a lot of people too are having Zoom fatigue. That that, that that really is a, a, a thing. Sure, just or, staring at a screen. All yeah, but I feel like the other thing that gets in the way of communication too is, yeah, you have so many different channels. You have email, you have Zoom, you have Slack, you have text, you have phone, you have in-person. Some people too might have like different, if you work with clients, maybe they have a mode of communication that they like. Everyone has different preferences because there's so many different ways of doing it. And I think that that's where people leadership gets difficult as well, is that when you have a team of several people and each of them has different preferences and you have a preference. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain, I think that there is a certain level of setting the stage of we do things this way and here's where you can flex yep. to set up that works best.
0: So, so one of the core values that we agreed on yes or Wednesday, I keep saying yesterday is uh is community. Uh-huh. And, and And it's funny because even though we all work on our laptops, we like to get together yeah, to work on our laptops. Mm-hmm. And we're not really working together in the sense like, I'm not asking you to do things for me or vice versa. It's more of like... You can point, it's like, how do you think I should answer this real quick? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, do this. And then it's like, oh, sweet. And then and then let's go play real quick and jump in the pool and then come back out and finish this.
1: Yeah. And and I think even, too, in, the, <laughs> in those like little micro micro moments of conversations where one person cracks a joke or you all witness something funny happen in the coffee shop, yeah. those are the moments that really bond people together. And that's what you miss over digital communication. You don't get those micro mom- moments of joy, of laughter that actually creates a bond with someone else, and that's that's a big challenge that we see in consulting too, because a lot of the programs that we run are virtual, Hmm. and people can only take so much virtual education, especially if a challenge is we need to bond with people and we need to network. You can only do so much genuine, authentic networking when it's structured virtually. It's, It's the micro moments that matter.
0: Interesting, yeah. Well, I was teaching this thing about creating an environment a proper environment for for getting things done um how can i explain this so the idea that you know for example like in my apartment i have a studio apartment but i i only do work at the place where it's work Mm -hmm. like so i don't sit on my computer on my on my bed and and work from there yeah i only work over here Mm -hmm. bed is only for sleep and sex yeah right and then i have a place where like i watch if I am going to use if I am going to watch like movies or like Netflix I only do it on my iPad Mm. so that way that's my fun apparatus yeah that's my work apparatus workstation Mm -hmm. this is my sleep and fun you know sex station that's where I poop and get (laughs) dressed right like and so but it's easier to fall asleep because then it's like oh I'm walking into this environment where this is what I do yeah Uh, it's easy to focus at work is like oh I'm working into this little space of mine because this is what I do so then my whole body prepares yeah right so it's creating like the right environments for, for that and I, I find that to be very powerful even just falling asleep yeah, yeah.
1: no I agree I actually heard this story in I, I think I heard it last year but Uh, Someone that I knew who was a resident advisor way back in the day in college heard this story, which I, I mean, you're the scientist, so you might know if this is true, but they talked about why college students accidentally get so drunk so quick. And they basically gave the example that if every Friday you go to your friend's Dave, Dave's house and you have a glass of wine and you do that every week for a month, your body begins to get attuned to it and knows, OK, Friday's coming. I'm going to go to Dave's. I'm going to have one glass of, or maybe three, three glasses of wine. But then if one week you change it up and you say, you know what, on Friday, I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to have three beers your body doesn't know it's not attuned to that environment and that flow, and it doesn't process the alcohol as well, and all of a sudden you are drunk nice and, and you didn't expect it. so I feel like it's it's kind of the same principle as when you set up your different workspaces or your different places in your home, yeah. your body gets used to it and it can kind of begin to prepare itself
0: yeah and, and then and that's why you 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 can travel and then just poop anytime
2: <laughs> <laughs> He can. We went to New York City. I couldn't go for like two days. Honestly. <laughs> it well, happens. Well, it was. I I knew what was going on because the same thing happens when we go camping. Yeah. Like, because it'll take me like a day. Like the first night, I'm not getting any sleep. I'm wide awake, especially if we go to like Big Band. I'm just like staring up like it's deafening silent. And I'm just like, wow, we're in the middle of the freaking desert. And I was just in the metropolitan area, you know, and then imagine you go to New York city where there's 9 million people. You've never seen that before. And everyone's just walking around and you're just like, Oh my God, there's so much stimulation. You go to yeah. times square just in your face and you're just like, Whoa, it's a lot of stimulation. Yeah, it was. And the thing is I don't like to fly that much. Yeah. So then flying over there, like I'm sweating on the plane going over there. You know, I'm just like, Oh, I'm nervous. And it's, it's not good. So what's interesting going back to the morning routine If you start your day off that way, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I usually try to tell people, I'm like, minimize the amount of stressors that you're going to encounter when you first wake up and that stuff that won't carry with you throughout the day. Uh, From a science standpoint, there's cortisol. I'm just focusing on that. Cortisol is a stress hormone. It's naturally released when you wake up. Sunlight hits you, you just naturally start making cortisol. Cortisol is good for you because it reduces inflammation, right? Think about cortisone shots and all that reduces arthritis pain. Well, it's good at first. But your body is just stimulated. It just thinks like, all right, what's now? Are we ready for stress? Because you've been sleeping all night. Yeah. So then you naturally have a lot of cortisol. Well, guess what happens with cortisol? It raises your blood sugar. So then from a science standpoint, people who have higher stress have higher blood sugar. Just think diabetics. Think about unhealthy people, whatever it is. But literally stress can increase your blood sugar, can increase your cortisol production. So imagine the email at like 7 in the morning that you did not want or the text message about whatever – And what happens is it stresses out. Guess what they're supposed to do when they first wake up? Go to the bathroom. What happens if they don't? Because they forget to. They didn't detox. Oh, interesting. Sleep is the only time you can detox your brain. Yeah. Okay. So if you don't get up in the morning and go to the bathroom, there's no brain detox dump going on, (laughs) literally, because you're overstimulated. Interesting. And what happens is you're sympathetic nervous system your fly or fight yeah is on high alert now because oh, why because wow. you're like i woke up it's late oh my gosh i gotta i i gotta go yeah and all of a sudden you you fly out the door interesting so here's what happens you fly out the door if you're in austin you're sitting in an hour-long rush hour traffic yeah and you're sitting there you're already late you're already thinking like damn it there's email oh that's not what i meant and like have it i gotta deal with this crap now yeah and then they, that used to be the old school driving work. Now it's people just walk downstairs. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens they never see the sun. Yeah. They're sitting in their pajamas all day. They never go outside. They're sitting down rather than standing. And they're, instead of getting sunlight that produces cortisol for them, they have a laptop or a desktop that produces fake synthetic cortisol in their body that will then spike their blood sugar.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Because they have sun deficiency, their immune system is compromised. And what do they normally do at home when they're hungry? They Eat. just snack. How far – you talk about the apparatus. How far is the workstation from the kitchen? I literally had someone tell me I had to buy a Peloton and put it in between my workstation and the refrigerator. That way I wasn't just walking in the refrigerator eating when I was bored. I'd get on the Peloton bike and do a couple laps. Yeah,
0: I, like it's like hacking your environment.
2: So then I tell people airplane mode in the morning. Mm-hmm. Don't look at your email or text for a couple hours if you can. That means get up earlier, FYI, and then uh, put in your timer every 45 minutes to get up and move around and stretch. Yeah, that's smart. And they're like, okay, I can do all that. Okay, fair enough. So you're now going to have Alexa and Fitbits and Apple Watches and everyone telling people how to take care of their health. Yeah. And what's interesting about <clears throat> it, I equivalent that to productivity. So watch this. I say, business, would you like higher productivity? Yes, that means more profits for you, right? Would you like higher morale amongst your employees? Yes, I would love that. Would that equal higher profits? Yes. Would you like less sick days from your employees? Yeah. Does that mean higher profits too? Yes, perfect. Okay. What are you doing for your employees' health? The number one diagnosis by 2030 will be depression. I believe that. Every single one of the people you talk to in your Mm boardrooms are bored. And depressed, <laughs> literally.
0: Wait, wait, is health a, a thing that comes up in 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 those type of conversations? Morale,
1: yes. Health, no.
2: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that's the thing.
0: Well, because as a leader, it's like I want everybody to be healthy.
2: But this is how we can. This is how you can show in the way. What? So, if you say less sick days, higher productivity, higher morale, higher productivity. How do you get there? Give them vitamins. Hmm. What do vitamins do? All these people are nutritional deficient. Yeah. Everyone, especially people who are sun deficient, vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I say literally give them vitamin D, watch their immune system get stronger. Mm -hmm. Less sick days, right? Give them B vitamins, clean out their liver, help them sleep better. Guess what? They wake up with more energy the next day and throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Control their blood sugar, their cortisol levels. All of a sudden now, they're not tired at 2 in the afternoon saying, oh my gosh, I can't think straight. They're finishing their deadlines. They're completing their to-do lists. And all of a sudden, they're energetic and high morale, ready, enthusiastic to go back and work for the company again.
0: Yeah. So how do I know what they need?
2: Bingo. So what our standpoint is is that we do labs. Mm-hmm. So here's what's really cool about it. If you talk about biometrics, labs are data. Mm-hmm. So then we analyze data from clients, their personal data, and be like, your systems are off. Round here, it should be going left. It's going right. Mm-hmm. And it's because you're missing this. If you start taking this, it goes right, which means you produce more serotonin. Mm-hmm. You produce more dopamine, which gives you focus. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed is all these people who walk in who have imposter syndrome and are depressed and anxious about being CEOs or being leaders, they don't make any serotonin or dopamine. No, well, no but they're also stressed out all the time. But here's the thing. They have to feed the beast. Mm-hmm. Stress is inevitable. You can't sit here and tell me you're going to get rid of stress. But they still try to take care
0: of it. But they try to take care of it with meds, <laughs> That's or the coffee, or Red Bull, or cigarettes, or yeah. and it's like, no, you're doing, you're just like doubling up on
2: the problem. But yeah. they say this. They say, oh, I know, I need to get, I need to reduce my stress, or mm. I, you know, I'm just really stressed. Yeah. And I say we all are.
1: Well, I mean, I actually think that from what I see in corporate, the problem is, is that typically that. They equivocate a better employee to more work. So if you do more work, you are a better employee. Interesting. And to me, that is the problem is removing is, yeah, is removing that is the measure of success for your employees.
0: So is that still a, uh, mm-hmm. a measure of, of like a prideful measure of uh, of success where like people, and oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say it used to be where like people said like, hey, I only got four hours of sleep and I'm here at 4 a.m. You know, yeah. Like, Yeah. That's still a thing.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... That's crazy. (laughs) Because I feel like you have... um, Even in the company, and a lot of companies, when you think about who you can rely on, it's usually the person who is always online. Oh, well, I know that this person's always online. I know that they can help me. I know that this person's always working late. If I have a question, I can ask them. They must know something. And typically, companies will see that as um, check marks for promotion. Oh wow you're doing a lot of work great you must be learning a lot doing a lot you're excelling really 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 quick you're ready to get promoted and make more money
2: brain candy work more feel better yeah interesting. that's literally what what it would be yeah. so we have a. Uh, you ever heard of nootropics yeah all right so we have a nootropic called brain candy mm-hmm. so we're very proud of it in a sense that it is uh, a non-stimulant nootropic mm-hmm. there's no caffeine and there's no stimulants and it helps you synapse and mm-hmm. think faster yeah. and quicker like that's how i feel when i take it Um, and it cleans out your brain and your liver, but it's all like vitamins and minerals and amino acids. So it's very safe. It's very, it's very beneficial. People will take this when they need to get shit done. Mm -hmm. Dopamine. Yeah. So then I say like, okay, imagine you say I have a to-do list. I need a lot of dopamine today. Yeah. Where am I getting my dopamine from? What gives you dopamine? Anything that gives you pleasure.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Anything gives you reward. Completing a task will give me a reward okay and then uh my cup of coffee that I have every morning right tastes real good it's gonna give me a reward there's more dopamine I'm gonna watch a little something on my YouTube or my Instagram or TikTok gives me a little pleasure a little kick in the morning right Mm -hmm. maybe I'll go work out in the morning gives me a little bit of pleasure and dopamine so now you have dopamine yeah a lot of dopamine so what's your morning gonna look like you get all your shit done maybe what happens around noon you start crashing because the thing is, you can't sustain a high amount of dopamine a long period of time unless you are feeding the beast. Mm-hmm. No one's sitting there saying, "I need to feed more dopamine," the right way. So then, what happens is they go looking for another ways. They eat like shit. Mm-hmm. They drink sugary sodas, coffee in the afternoon. Yeah. And guess what? They're burnt out. And then at the end of the day, they go to whatever that you know dinner, come home, put the kids to bed, all that stuff, and then they're up still getting more dopamine. From their phones their laptops and then they wonder why they can't just jump into bed and fall asleep
4: because
2: yeah. they've literally been uploading the production of dopamine throughout the day but the problem is they don't make dopamine to begin with why because they were all adhd when they were younger and labeled like you know these people that couldn't think straight and focus so they were all put on adderall and ritalin and all yeah. these things that vyvanse that made them think and what were they speed and meth Mm -hmm. doing dopamine hits. They come in here by the time they're 30 in the corporate world and said, I'm with one of the big four. I did this in grad school. I am killing myself right now. Yeah. Help me. But I love my life. And I'm like, do you? I'm confused.
4: (laughs) It
3: it,
1: it, it honestly shocks me sometimes when I see – how many hours someone works and they're happy, or I think I've talked to people too. I'm like, do you want to do this? Do you enjoy working this many hours a week? And they say no. I'm like, do you want to stay and keep doing that? And they say yes. And that's the part that always confuses me is if you are killing yourself working and you don't enjoy it, why do you stay?
0: Well, because if I don't stay, how am I going to pay for the house that I already started buying? How am I gonna pay th- for the two that. cars that I already started, you know, paying well, for? Like th- that. How do I maintain that same level level of comforts and luxuries? Yeah. That has been provided to me. Like you, well, you
2: can't your whole right? life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every thirty year old right now has probably grown up with an iPhone or iPad or something like that or uh, an iPod, something in front of them. They don't know any different. They they don't know anything other than YouTube. Right, The idea that I can have the convenient access for information right at my fingertips means there is no waiting anymore, no en- encyclopedias, no uh, no I- anything that I need as far as like that I can't get right now. So mm-hmm. the convenience factor is people don't want to wait,
0: yep.
2: right? And that's the problem. It's like I want this, this, and this. and I'll do whatever it takes to get there and once I get there. yeah. Okay, I've sacrificed everything. Now what? So what happens is the 40, 50-year-olds are sitting in the boardrooms. This is what happens. And they say, I'm bored. I've accomplished everything that you've told me to do. I've checked off the to-do list. I've, I've started the business. I've run it. Now what? Mm-hmm. And they, the serial entrepreneur comes into play. Like I want to be an investor. I want to do this. And Shark Tank looks like a fun idea. And these incubators in town. But what happens is Austin's unique because you have people actually care about the population, the world, and they say, what if we could do better for others?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, mm-hmm. and that's where I think it's really interesting because, at what point? Do Does working 60, 70 hours a week turn into, now I'm on a purpose. I'm on a mission. Mm-hmm. I will sacrifice everything for the greater good of that mission. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, Goodyear failed for 30 years before he finally discovered the formula for rubber. And then tires were developed and suburban America was developed because now you could drive from your house into the city. Oh. 30 years failure. Yeah, And everyone said you're doing it wrong. I, there's no way in hell. And what's incredible uh, is that you always told in business do it this way. Yeah. And I'll tell you this right now. There's no one way to do it. No.
1: no. I love that story though. I, th- I I think that that really speaks to when you have a, a mission that feels right and feels aligned and authentic to who you are, you can have the stamina to keep doing it. I, I think yeah. the, the challenge is you see a lot of people who are killing themselves for work that they don't actually care about but they but they do it because they think that they should which is you know the worst word on the planet should um to make they think that that's the only way that they can be financially set up and then they just keep going and going and going and going
0: yeah what's like the things you own end up owning you yeah right and so then you have to keep up to that Mm -hmm. we have to wrap up here in a second but uh any last thoughts final words that you want to mention? Where can people find you?
1: Oh, where can people find me? Um, I am on Instagram. It's my name, S-A-N-I-E with five E's. And then for the podcast that I'm beginning, which is still in the early stages, but if you want to start tracking, uh, it's called Emotion All. So emotion and then in parentheses is all. Can I give a quick blurb on? Of course. Okay. So the podcast came from an idea that I had maybe nine months ago or so which is I've wanted to do a podcast where each episode is an exploration about a different emotion. So you deep dive on joy, you deep dive on envy, on jealousy, on anger, a lot of different emotions. And I want to tell people's unique stories of their journey with that one emotion. So, emotion all is this this idea that all emotions are inside of you. They are all important. They all paint a picture of who you are and why you are the way that they are, the way that you are. Um, And that's beginning soon. So, if you want to follow that, the Instagram is at emotion. No, emotion all, A L L dot N E.